This is the Spa Retailer Podcast, where we talk about retail, business, and all things related to the hot tub industry. I'm Megan Kendrick, owner of Spa Retailer Magazine. And I'm Jeff Bailey, owner of Spring Dance Hot Tubs in Philadelphia. episode is brought to you by Strong Spas. Hi everyone. We decided to split this interview into two parts. It's one of my favorites that we've done so far and the first time we've had a manufacturer on the show. We're talking to Justin Miller, the founder and creator of Finn. In this first half, you'll hear about his background and how he got Finn off the ground. And I guarantee we will never have another person on the podcast who has worked for NASA, eBay, and Apple. He's definitely taken a different path than most of us to get to this industry. Hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Spa Retailer Podcast. I guess we'll just kind of get started. Our guest today is Justin Miller. He is one of the founders of Finn, which I'm sure a lot of people, a lot of our listeners are familiar with. Um... But Justin, before we get into your background, can you just explain like really quickly what Finn is and what it does, and then we can kind of delve into how it came to be? Yeah, absolutely. So Finn is a monitor that uh, goes into your pool or your hot tub, and it monitors your water chemistry 24-7, and it talks with your smartphone and lets you know uh, when you need to add chemicals and exactly what chemicals to add and how much. So it makes taking care of a pool or a hot tub really simple and easy. Kind of, how did you get into this? I mean, I, we were talking a little bit before the interview, and you grew up on the East Coast, but now you're you're in Silicon Valley. Like, how did how did that all come to be? <laughs> yeah, you know, my career started on the East Coast. I worked at uh, AT and T um, in New Jersey, uh, and then ended up going to grad school in Houston and working uh, at Rice University and working at NASA for a bit, and then moved out to California in uh, the mid 90s and was working for Apple. I worked at Apple for a little while um, and then uh, moved on, did some consulting, did some work at a company called Webvan, which was an online grocery and so forth. Uh, And then eventually worked my way to running a company called Plaxo, which was the um, an online address book, uh, which had been acquired by Comcast. And I eventually morphed that into running the Comcast Innovation Center in Silicon Valley and created that Innovation Center and then ran that uh, for a few years. Uh, It was very interesting for me, really enjoyed, I mean, the the whole process. I've always been focused on creating great user experiences. That was my role at Apple, um, as well as really thinking about the product experience um, everywhere I've been and, and what a consumer uh, goes through how they think about or or do whatever it is they're trying to do, whether it's work on their computer or um, buy groceries. Or I worked at eBay for uh, six and a half years doing user experience and product management. And so really focused on how to make things simple and easy for consumers. And at Comcast, you know, started getting involved in uh, some of the new technology trends like the Internet of Things and what that could mean for folks and and what that could do for people to really help take complex tasks and make them easy and simple. When you kind of gave your overview of Finn, I mean, that's something that that's technology and that's something that people in our industry have been asking for for years. And so <laughs> you kind of you kind of melded those together pretty well. Yeah, I I try to um, 
that's kind of what I've been trained to do all my life uh, is, is really take technology and, and make it simple and easy for people. And that's really kind of been my goal. And, and so with Finn, that's really what it was. It, it started with myself and my co-founder. We were uh, sitting in his backyard having a barbecue. We were, you know, friends at the time, just kind of talking about things. And he has a pool and a hot tub in his backyard. And I've got a pool and a hot tub in my backyard. And we were talking about, you know, it seems so complicated. It seems so confusing. It's intimidating for us. Um, and we each had kind of different ways of taking care of it. And we were kind of talking about it and thinking, you know, there's got to be a better way. And, and that's where it started. We started thinking about well, what technology could we bring to bear to really make this a, a simple and easy to use product, you know, so that if you have a pool or a hot tub, you can spend more time enjoying it and less time worrying about it or taking care of it. I, I will say you're probably, actually not probably, you are definitely the only person we've ever had on the podcast that has worked for uh, both NASA and Apple. You <laughs> 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 kind of got some uh, heavy hitters in your in your background there. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, I've been fortunate to have not only great companies, but uh, also great, uh, great managers, great advisors, mentors throughout my life that have really helped me. But uh, it's it's been great. I, I really value the time I've had at all those companies, eBay as well, sure, yeah, um, Comcast and so forth. It's uh, you talk about. I think Steve Jobs gave a commencement address, and he talked about kind of his career path and and how you don't know how all these dots are going to connect later on, and then they end up connecting in a way that just makes you special and unique and able to bring things to the table that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that hasn't been brought to the table before. Did you have any background in entrepreneurship before you you started with Finn, or did you always worked for other people? Um, I hadn't started my own company before. I had worked at a startup. So Webvan, when I joined, was a very small company. Uh, it was in stealth mode. It, it, so it was very much a startup, and then it got big and eventually went public. So I had experience with startups, but I hadn't started my own before Fit. So definitely a lot of learnings there and a lot of excitement uh, going through that whole process. So when you started that process, like how did how did you go from the idea to actually creating it? What was the first step? <laughs> um, you know, the first step was for me was research trying to see, is this feasible? Is this, is this something that could even work? So I started by looking at what, was, what else was going on in the industry? What were the technology pieces available? Um, you know, did, did the parts exist? I went to, this was back in 2014, I went to the uh, pool and spa show in Orlando, kind of walked up and down every aisle, looked at every booth, every product, and kind of said, well, it seems like the components are here, but no one's really put it together yet. And, um, you know, it, there were sensors, there was, you know, there were the ability to do all these things, but no one had put it together into the product solution that, that we had envisioned. And so that was, that was very interesting. And then we, I started looking after that at kind of financials, like, could this work? Um, what would be all the pieces that we'd need and how much would those cost? And how, you know, would this be anything people would want to pay for? When that all seemed to make sense, we, uh, we had gotten a little bit of um, kind of pre-seed funding, but not really enough to hire people, but just kind of enough to like, you know, make a video and see if there was interest. 
Mm-hmm. We started that and there was a lot of interest. I talked to a lot of pool owners and hot tub owners about what did they currently do to take care of their water and what did they think of our idea? And, and that really resonated with folks. So that kind of accelerated our motivation. And then the, the really interesting part for me was, okay, you got this idea. Now, how do you turn it into something that can actually, you can make a product out of? And and I don't know if this happens everywhere or could happen everywhere, but in Silicon Valley, I just kind of started talking about it with friends and they're like, oh, I know someone who could help. And so we ended up cobbling together a group of, I don't know, 10, 10 people or so who have specialties in areas that I had never even heard of before. And they were willing to spend their free time working on this uh, for no pay. We gave them some equity in, you know, if this was ever going to turn into something, you'd get some equity. And they would just spend hours designing the electronic circuitry, talking about manufacturing and, and helping us think through all the hardware side of things. My expertise and experience had been on the software side. I didn't have as much expertise on the hardware side. And these guys just didn't mind coming together and spending time and really helping develop the hardware for the product. And not in the way that it's like shipping today, but in a way that allows us to prototype it and and prove out the concept and get it in front of investors and others and say, look, here's what we're thinking of doing. This is kind of how it might work. And and that was really great. That allowed us to go talk to investors and get investors excited about what we could do and how we could do it. And they, they could see how it was possible. And, you know, that's that's kind of how we got going and getting our first big investor on board. You're kind of in a different world than most of the product development that we see coming into the pool and spa industry. Because a lot of times, you know, it's either coming from the big established companies already, or it's a small mom and pop, but they're not, you know, looking for Silicon Valley investors. You know, they're usually just kind of figuring it out on their own. And, (laughs) you know, you kind of have the product development and company development process that you hear about and read about on the news versus what we hear about and read about in the pool and spa industry, which was, I started it in my garage and I sold 10 one year and 20 the next year and until we, until we figured it out. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I think, you know, one of the advantages of this area is you're surrounded by venture capital firms. You're surrounded by people who want to participate in startups. And so that really enabled us to kind of accelerate our work. And, and I think one of the things that we were excited about was how can we bring some of Silicon Valley to the pool industry, which to your point, hasn't historically been a lot of Silicon Valley in the pool industry. And we thought there was a big opportunity there. I think one of the things that, that we also focused on was a lot of, a lot of times Silicon Valley, you, know, you think of disruptive companies that, that come in and really disrupt the industry. And, and we absolutely did not want to do that. We thought we had an opportunity to come up with innovation from a product perspective, but we really thought the bigger opportunity here was to revolutionize the industry and leverage the industry rather than disrupt it. And um, so that's why we've tried to partner with people in the industry rather than steal business from them. And uh, I think so far that's been working well. And it's it's maybe not typical of, of just Silicon Valley or or of some startups by themselves. And so we've tried to walk that fine line of being the innovative startup 
that actually works with the industry to make it better. Justin, who did you find to be helpful along that way as far as manufacturers or different companies in the industry? Who, who was helpful to you right, right out of the gate? Oh, right out of the gate. I mean, there was, there was a lot. Um, right out of the gate, there's a lot of, uh, of, there was a dichotomy, I should say. There were some who kind of got it and understood this. For example, we talked to some pool techs who were reaching out to us. Like they, they'd see our ads to consumers, our video saying, here's what we're thinking about and so forth. And they say, oh my God, this is great. I, I want in, how can I help? And then there were other companies who were kind of scared that we were going to you know, take over or, or destroy their business. And that even happened in the chemical, com- in the chemical industry. Um, and I think uh, Lanza deserves a lot of credit because they had even internally this kind of uh, dichotomy of, well, this could be great or this could be terrible, but um, we, think, we think we can help make it great. And so we started working with them. They really helped shape us and evolve us. I think we tried to help them as well and, and create this mutually beneficial a symbiotic relationship. Obviously, Hayward came along a little bit later, a little about a year and a half ago. Obviously, that was a great conversations. We really hit it off well uh, with them as well. Uh, and they went ahead and made the acquisition. So those are two of the big companies. And then there's lots of smaller companies that really saw the, the vision and the potential. Um, Pool RX actually was very excited early on and been with us ever since the beginning in terms of what we could do and how we could help revolutionize the pool industry, Auric Chemicals and so forth. So there's been a lot of folks who have really uh, been great partners to work with and uh, have really helped us get to where we are. We're going to take a break to hear from our sponsor, When we come back, Justin will talk about some of the challenges they had building Finn, particularly with the hardware, and how the acquisition by Hayward came about. Experience true spa convenience at the touch of a button. Strong Spa's fully automated DuraShield hardcover is another example of Strong's innovative engineering in a long line of industry firsts. Strong has taken the durability and strength of its hardcover and made the ease of use even simpler. Effortlessly open and close DuraShield with a simple turn of a key. Strong's DuraShield hardcover holds 1,000 plus pounds and comes with a limited lifetime guarantee. I've seen the automated hardcover in person and it was impressive. Be sure to check it out at the next industry trade show. I got an email from our marketing woman way back in, I guess it was around 2014, and she sends this email and it's that video kind of a kind of a cartoonish video that you guys put together. I find it fascinating that part of that video was con- conceptual. Is that correct? 2014, you know, we had been working on the vision um, and kind of nailing down what we wanted to do, but we didn't have things built and functional. We had started with prototype. We had prototypes at that point, not, you know, not mass market production. And then in 15, we actually got funding or enough funding to start hiring a full-time team. And so it was in 2015 where we really started in earnest, uh, not only on the hardware side, but on the software side. A lot of a lot of what makes Finn special is the software. Finn is not just a meter. Finn is something that makes pool care simple, elegant, easy. And a lot of the magic for that happens in software, both in the mobile app and in the cloud and so forth. But it's the way we take the data interpret it. Uh, we have various algorithms that that we apply to kind of get a useful 
uh, sense of what's going on in the water so we can make good recommendations. And that, that really started in earnest in 2015. That's interesting. So when was that video made that you did? Uh, well, we've made a few, so I'm not exactly sure which particular one you're talking about. I think we made one in 2014, we made one in 2015, and probably 2016, and so forth. Well, it was, it was just interesting. Megan, did you see any of them when they had first come out? When did you guys start going to the to the show? Because I know there have been a lot of rumblings about what you guys have been working on in the industry for a while. And so I'm not sure when I first heard about Finn, but it's it's kind of been on the radar for, for a little bit. Yeah, probably late 2015 would have been the earliest time we went and and maybe even had a booth. Uh, that probably would have been the first one. And, and, and then early 2016 um, as well. And yeah, we, we started making splashes then, and we had products uh, going into beta testing. You know, I'm taxing my memory here, but I'm going to say 2016, we started with some beta testing uh, that, that went very well, actually. But, you know, like all beta tests, you learn a lot. Um, <laughs> so, so I don't know if all the consumers who, who tested it think it all went great, but we learned a ton during that time, which is kind of the purpose of that test. Well, I think, I think the industry is starving for, for something like this. And I, I, I'm, I'm sure that's what you, what you ultimately found. I can't imagine you found a lot of people, you might've found people saying that's not going to work, but you, you didn't find people saying, no, we, we, we don't want this. That's for sure. Huh? Yeah, you know, we found a ton of people saying, oh, my God, this is going to be amazing. This is going to be terrific. I wish I had thought of that. Or uh, <laughs> we had people write in and say, I did think of this, but you guys have done it so well, uh, you know, better than I could have done. Great job. Congratulations. We've had some of those emails, which is great to see. Because it's not just about can you have the vision, but can you execute it in a way that really makes people happy and that, that really satisfies the vision. And that, that can be tough, especially for a product like this that's in the water all the time and in some harsher environments. What were some of the hurdles and the things that made it difficult to finally get it get it out? And um, did you have a harder time with the, with the R&D and developing the product or was it more just kind of the business and the funding side that was the most more difficult part? I think the, the hardest part is probably the hardware itself. You know, we've got a great, uh, a great team uh, all around. So uh, a great software team, for example, the software, there's a lot to do and we're always doing more on the software. Uh, but it's something I understand pretty well. And we've been constantly making progress, but hardware uh, you have to get right before you ship it out. You can't make changes on the fly as easily with hardware as you can with software. And so at the beginning, um, I'll give you two examples, one hardware and one software. On the software side, we were getting readings. You know, you get readings. And, and one of the things that happens in, in the water that most people don't know is that throughout the day, every day, the water chemistry is constantly changing. For example, your sanitizer level, your, your ORP, uh, is going up and down throughout the day due to a, a number of factors. But when you test the water once a week, you, you don't know that. You, you, the, the chlorine level or the bromine level is the level, and you think that's, that's kind of what it is all week. But it really is constantly moving. And sometimes it's too low, and other times it's too high. And depending on what time of day you do your once a week sample, it might look too high or it might look too low. And at first, we were showing people the true readings of what their, their levels were. And they were getting alerts multiple times a day, sometimes saying it was too high and sometimes saying it was too low. <laughs> and, 
And so what we did is we implemented some algorithms and we kind of smoothed the data and we said, you know, what our customers want and what is, is not a true reading of what the water chemistry is at this moment. They want to know whether they need to add chemicals or not. Right. Um, so we created these algorithms to give us a, a sense of what do we think is really going on with the water with respect to should we add chemicals or not, right? And if sometimes it's high and sometimes it's low, but the average is basically right where it needs to be, then that's pretty good. You don't need to add any chemicals. And so uh, that was one of the software changes we made coming out of beta testing. On the hardware side, uh, one of the problems you get uh, when you've got hardware sitting in, um, in either a hot tub or a pool and you've got temperature cycling and a high humidity and so forth is that moisture vapor kind of works its way through plastic all the time. Eventually it, it finds its way onto the circuit board uh, that's right there and uh, you, you can short circuit things. You've got to be very careful about how you build the product to withstand that over a long period of time. So that was another, another big challenge from the hardware side that actually slowed down our launch because you make a change to the hardware and it takes a while to build and then you've got to get it back and then you run tests and the tests take a while because the hardware works great, but you don't want it to work great for a short period of time. You want it to work great for a long period of time. And so the testing takes a while. Yeah, we launched later than we wanted to just because we're focused on getting the hardware right. Uh, the software, you, like I said, you can keep uh, evolving that and we are still evolving and improving the software constantly, but you got to get the hardware right kind of right off the bat. And that's that's been one of the great things about the Hayward acquisition is they have a terrific hardware engineering team uh, and they've been building and manufacturing products for you know decades. To get their expertise on the hardware has really been very beneficial to us and, and we've made a ton of progress in the last year and a half with them. Sure. Yeah. And not only hardware, but hardware that's, you know, meant to go into water, exactly. <laughs> treated, treated exactly. water, <laughs> but that's a kind of a good transition. How did, how did the Hayward, Hayward acquisition come about? Were you guys looking for someone to, to partner with and to acquire you? Or did they say, come to you and say, Hey, this is, this is something we want under our umbrella. Well, you know, so you asked also earlier about the, you know, how is fundraising and how difficult is that? Right. Um, and it's related. So fundraising was is is never easy. Uh, I think we were fortunate that it was never outrageously difficult uh, because we had some great investors early on, and and then that helps you get new, you know, more investors and so forth. But you're kind of as a startup always in fundraising mode, and so you're always out there talking to companies, both in the the venture capital world uh, as well as in the the industry looking for partners, looking for investors and so forth. And we were at that point where it was kind of like, okay, are we going to raise more money or who are we going to raise with and so forth? And which, like I said, is a constant endeavor. We started talking with Hayward and they said, well, you know, we're not really interested in investing. We'd be interested in acquiring. So we went through, had a discussion with our board, you know, internally and then with our board holistically about, do we want to go it alone or do we want to take the opportunity to get acquired? And when you look at all the potential suitors for acquisition, Hayward is one of the tops that you can get. And you know, one of our investors was saying like, this is, you're not gonna get a better investor down the road. 
uh, better acquirer down the road. This is, a, this is a great company. So we made the decision to go the acquisition route, and, and it's been great so far. It seems like they've kept you fairly independent. It doesn't feel like they're kind of messing with things too much. I kind of think about it um, like shoebox greetings, the, the tiny little division of Hallmark. I kind of feel like that sometimes where we have our own personality, we have our own culture, we have our ability to kind of focus on our product and our customers, but yet we get the benefits of being part of Hayward, uh, their hardware, their manufacturing, their, you know, they've got state-of-the-art, world-class uh, quality with respect to those things and uh, the ability for us to leverage that while keeping our culture and our ability to focus on on the software product experience and so forth that is really important to us and our customers, I think has been great. Was it hard going from being independent and, and you know, deciding everything on your own? I mean, you have a board, but to then to go to, you know, having someone who also has to be involved in the decision-making process? <laughs> well, luckily, as you mentioned earlier, I've got some background and experience with working with large companies. Sure. So it, it, hasn't <laughs> been, uh, it hasn't been too much of a culture shock. Part of my job is to help ease that for everybody on both sides. The Hayward team is getting the input and the, the ability to influence what we're doing. And yet the team here still feels like they can run as fast as they possibly can to get done everything thing that we know we have to get done. Uh, and that's that's part of what I do. And you're still with the company and with Finn is because usually, you know, when a company gets acquired, that's usually the time where the founders are like, we'll hang out for a little while and help you out, but then we'll move on and do something else. Are you thinking you'll stay with Finn for quite a while then? Uh, yeah, I have no plans to leave. I think, uh, like I said, Hayward is is a great company, and it's part of part of our decision in terms of acquisition um, was, is this a, is this a company I can stay with. This is a company that we all can stay with. And I think part of what excites us about Hayward is, and keeps us, you know, energized about the future is not only what is Hayward doing now, but what, what does Hayward have envisioned for the future and how can we help contribute to that? We, you know, myself and the team here, we are innovators. We want to, we want to innovate. We want to create, make things simple and easy for consumers and make things better. And I think the pool industry is really ripe for that. And I say pool industry, I, I include the hot tub industry as well. We think that the whole industry is really ripe for that. And we think we have a lot of, lot of opportunity uh, with Hayward to really bring that vision to life in a way that, that we couldn't do if we were independent, just because of the reach and the capabilities that Hayward brings to the table. Sure. That ends part one of our interview with Justin. Next episode, Justin will talk more about how Finn works in hot tubs and how it can fit into a hot tub retailer strategy. He also touches on how they had to change their initial market strategy. And of course, we'll hear his answers to the Spa Retailer 10. Retailer Podcast is produced by Spa Retailer Magazine. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SpaRetailer.com, and the Spa Retailer app. Please leave us a review and let us know what you think or email us at podcast at sparetailer.com. Spa